Well, good morning. Welcome to Christ Community. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here. And you know, when my family and I were uh, kind of taking a break for Christmas, we one of those days on uh, kind of Christmas time, we began talking around the dinner table about uh, who we would love to have dinner with. Who is a hero in our lives that we would, someone we could have dinner, who if we could have dinner with anyone, who would, who would that be? And so I even asked you that this morning, just imagine who would you love to have dinner with. You get an evening to hang out with this person, I don't know, Patrick Mahomes, Tom Hanks, J.K. Rowling, Taylor Swift, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, I don't know who your person would be. But for me, there was no question who that person would be. It would be Mr. Burns. Uh, no, not the, not the billionaire from The Simpsons, uh, but the documentary filmmaker Ken Burns. I love Ken Burns' work. And now, if we were talking about people who are, are not alive, I could go in the past, C.S. Lewis would definitely win. But people who are living today, it would definitely be Ken Burns. So imagine, you know, Ken comes over, leisurely dinner at our house, there's some close family and friends who are there, and then maybe after dinner we sit down for a private screening of his National Parks documentary, all 12 hours of it. <laughs> that would be the dream. You know, any person in the world, who would your person be? You, just, you can just imagine, right? All, all the other guests are already there. Nobody's going to be late for this party. And then you see him or her standing there at your front door, and you can hardly believe it's actually happening. And, you know, originally you were afraid maybe this is going to be awkward. Uh, you're just hoping you're not, you're not going to scream like you're at a boy band concert. And thankfully that doesn't happen. They're so easy to talk to. And, and you're still sort of in awe of this person, but it's going really well. And it, it just... They're so natural. Friendship seems to be starting. It just feels like it's going to be a great night. You start asking questions. They're already telling you some just great stories. This is a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. It's amazing. And then you sit down to dinner. Everything, this is everything you hoped it would be. And as you're sitting down to dinner, one of your guests comes from down the hall, and you hear some whispering. You can't hear what's being said, but actually your, your guest, your hero, does overhear what's being said. And, and then you hear them say, whoever it is, Patrick Mahomes, Taylor Swift, or Ken Burns, whoever it is, say, you know, oh, no, no, no problem. No, I'll, I'll take care of it. I'll take care of it. No, seriously, it's not a problem. I'm happy to do it. And, and then they get up from the table, and they, they walk down the hall, and they leave the room, and, and you follow them, and you can't believe what you see next. There they are in your bathroom, plunging the toilet and cleaning the floor with Lysol wipes. And you're horrified, right? Like, what is happening? What do you do? I mean, there's no, there's no way you're going to let them keep doing this, right? So you, you grab the, the plunger, the Lysol wipes out of their hands, you beg them to return to the party. I mean, that's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario is, is, is this some kind of a setup? Am I being used? Am I being manipulated? Nobody's this nice, right? No one would actually do this. This thing doesn't happen. This is not what you use your fame or fortune or power for. No. In fact, quite the opposite, right? We tend to hear stories of scandal and mistreatment and abuse and self-promotion. This does not happen. Okay, so with that in mind... I'm going to invite you now to stand for the reading of God's Word. Our scripture reading for this morning is from John chapter 13, verses 1 through 7, and then we're going to skip down to verse 34. 
This is on page 900 in your pew Bible. So if you grab one of those Bibles, uh, 900. And if you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible of your own, take that one with you. We'd love for that to be a gift. John chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment, and taking the towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He called Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this task of foot washing that Jesus performs for his disciples was a job only for the lowest of the low. Uh, Historians and commentators point out that that this was a servile task that was done only only by servants or slaves, And, and maybe occasionally by someone like a very low status wife or child in a household, but never by never by the honored one, never by the patriarch. And, and we think, I think when we read this story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet, in our context, we think, wow, like that's, that's kind of admirable. Like that is what, what the best kind of leaders do. It's, it's admirable, even if it's uncommon. But you know, we only think that about this story because of the profound impact that actually Christian Uh, theology and Jesus have had on Western culture. And if you actually want to trace a bit of some time of that story of of the dramatic impact that Christianity has had on Western culture, Tom Holland's book, Dominion, How the Christian Revolution Remade the World, is is a fantastic read. But again, this wasn't always the case that this kind of humility and servant uh, sort of posture from a leader or someone who is a place of honor, that wasn't always the case. Certainly in the Greco-Roman culture, this kind of humiliating service was not considered virtuous. This this would have been an embarrassing, shameful thing. And while scholars do point out that in Judaism, Jews did stress humility, but they also note that just like other societies, the Jewish culture also really had a strong emphasis on societal roles and, and the status within those roles. And so while humility itself wasn't considered bad as it was in Greco-Roman culture, what Jesus is doing here is clearly and truly shocking. Nobody had a category for this, for stepping out of their societal role into a lower societal role to serve. I mean, this, for, this is worse than, than Taylor Swift right with a plunger in your bathroom. This was degrading, appalling, unthinkable. Jesus, what are you thinking by doing this? And again, he's not just some celebrity. He is the king of the universe. 
So the question that we have to wrestle with today together is how do we respond to a king who washes feet? How do we respond to a king who washes feet? And so if you didn't keep your thumb there, if you would turn with me uh, to John chapter 13, I'd love for you to look at this text with me as we walk through it today. And in John chapter 13 begins a series of five chapters, 13 through 17, where Jesus is having this conversation with his closest friends around the Passover dinner table. This is the kind of most important festival in all of Jewish life is the Passover meal. Jesus is gathered to celebrate that with his closest friends. And what John gives to us in 13 through 17 is a, is a record of that conversation. And this is a really unique thing because none of the other uh, four are the other three Gospels. They have four, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they record Jesus having dinner with his disciples, but they don't record any of this detailed conversation that John gives us. He spends five chapters recording this incredible conversation that's going to be the messages that we have over the next coming weeks. And it, it all begins here. And how this conversation begins is Jesus washing feet. Now, John, who's writing all of this down for us, he was there. He saw this. This is verse 1. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour, I think when John talks about his hour, this is the moment of his, of his death. When he knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. Such a powerful phrase. Uh, in Dutch New Testament scholar Hermann Ruderbos, he writes this about the phrase. He says, It was love to the last breath and love in the highest intensity. Love to the end and love to the limit. And love is, is the heart of this story. It's the heart of this passage, really all throughout these chapters, but in particular here in chapter 13, all building to this fact that, that Jesus' disciples, his followers, are going to be known by their sacrificial, humble love. And he wants us to show, or Jesus wants to show us what that looks like. And this is where you get verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment, because John doesn't want us to miss this. Jesus knows that he is nearing his death. He knows that Judas, one of his closest friends, you know, so we always think about Judas as the, that guy who betrayed Jesus, but before that, they were, they were dear friends. He knows that he's going to betray him. He knows that. Uh, he also knows that God, the Father, has, has given him authority all things, that he's rightfully the king over all creation. Jesus knows that. And Jesus knows that he has come from God and that he's going back to God. He knows all of that. And knowing all of that, then you get verse 4. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was around his waist, wrapped around him. And again, this task, washing these feet, 
This is worse than cleaning a stranger's bathroom, a task, again, reserved for the lowest of the low. You wouldn't even associate with the person whose job this was. And that's why when you get to verse 6, Peter is so shocked and says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And and Peter actually refuses in verse 8. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. And Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And so then, then Peter, in that moment, he, he backpedals and says, well, then go all in. Wash, wash all of me. Clean all of my bathrooms. Do whatever it takes. And you see, what Jesus is doing here in this moment is more than just washing feet. He's showing us that we need to be washed. We need to be cleansed. And so how do we respond to a king who washes feet? Well, the, the first thing is we have to let him do it. We have to let him wash our feet. And don't miss this example with Peter. You need to let the king serve you. Let Jesus serve you. And that's, that's hard for Peter. It's hard for us. And this painting by the 19th century British artist Ford Maddox Smith, I love this, this depiction, Ford Maddox Brown, of this moment. I think it captures our struggle And you actually see in the back, and I've got to zoom in here, I think of this, you see how they capture, like, what's happening here? The shock, the dismay at what they see. And then you see another one of the uh, disciples who's kind of in resign, he's getting ready to take off his sandals, sort of accepting of this, but maybe with some hesitation. And, And then you see Peter, kind of at the center, hands folded, sort of accepting this, receiving, surrender, eyes kind of still struggling to comprehend what's happening. I just even wonder in that, that picture where you find yourself, you know, which one of those reactions, kind of the shock, the horror that Jesus would be doing this, the sort of hesitating but, but willing, a posture of surrender. But why is it so difficult for us to let the king serve us? in this way. Uh, is it shame, I wonder? I mean, I think sometimes it is, right? Like, Jesus, you don't understand. My feet are too ugly. I- I'm ashamed to let you see what's there. The blisters, the calluses, the discolored, untrimmed nails. Jesus, you cannot look at that. Or could it be pride? I mean, I wonder if Peter's thinking this moment, I would never do this for anyone. I'm, there's no way I'm letting Jesus do this for me. I wonder if it's some of both, and sometimes those pride and shame are so intermixed and intertwined. I think there's both for us too. I think we all have those spaces in our lives where the thought of letting another person know what we've done or what we've left undone just sort of makes our stomachs clench, and our eyes look down. But here's the thing, if you won't let Jesus serve you in those places, if you won't let him into those spots, then you're functionally saying that there are some things that he can't actually do, that there are some things he can't handle, something he's unable to forgive, something he's unable to heal. And, and, and friends, that's to deny who Jesus says he is, as the one who came not to judge the world, but to save the world. 
to deny his power and his love. If you don't let our foot washing king wash you, he says, you have no part with me. Jesus wants to serve you. Will you let him? That's the first way we respond to a foot washing king is we let him wash our feet. But then as you go back to the story and continue, we realize that there's something more here. And I'm actually going to keep this painting on the screen for a lot of our, our time because I just want you to continue to even just visually reflect on that moment. And so Jesus washes our feet. Now that that's done, Jesus explains that he's expecting something from us, from his followers. He's setting a pattern for us to follow. This is verse 14. He says, if then your Lord and teacher, if I then as your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. So Jesus is serving us, but he's also giving us an example of how we are to love and to serve one another, how we are to obey him and follow him. So what does that look like? What does it look like to follow Jesus' example, to obey his, his new command to love in this way? I think that we see three things in this story. First, the, the foot-washing king we serve expects us to choose the low places. Our foot-washing king expects us to choose low places. And that's the most, the most obvious. Jesus serves them in the most humiliating way. Where are we serving like that? Where are we doing the same for others? Choosing the low places often means doing something that needs to be do, done rather than doing the thing uh, that you would <clears throat> enjoy or like to get done. Now, of course, it's amazing when you have an opportunity uh, to serve in some way that aligns with your gifts and your passions and your interests and your school and your skills. It's like, wow, this, this just fits so perfectly hand in glove. But there are also just lots of times when the diaper just needs to be changed, when the trash needs to be emptied, when the dishes need to be washed. And you just do it, not because you have some special gift or talent or passion or training, but because you love it's again, even think about this too. I mean, Jesus, he wasn't a professional foot washer. He didn't have special training in this. This wasn't his, his passion in life, but it needed to be done, and he did it. He chose the low place. A number of years ago, our children's ministry team here at the Brickside campus uh, offered a parenting class called Spiritual Parenting. It was a, a video-based curriculum taught by Dr. Michelle Anthony. And to be honest, I don't, I don't remember a whole lot from that class all these years later, but I do remember one thing so clearly. And she said, you know, we need to train our kids to be the kinds of people, the kinds of human beings as they grow up, that wherever they go, they look around and they notice what's around them and they ask two questions. We want to train our kids to any room they walk into, whether it's a friend's house, whether it's a church, whether it's their bedroom, whether it's the kitchen, wherever, to, every time they walk into a space, they notice what's around them and they ask two questions. What needs to be done and how can I help? What needs to be done and how can I help? Now, those are the questions that followers of a foot-washing king ask. 
What if you even just cultivated that habit in your own life? That anytime you showed up anywhere, work, the park, office, school, wherever it is, that you're always looking around asking the question, what needs to be done here? And how can I help? Maybe you're not the one in charge. Most of the time you probably won't be, but find the person who isn't in charge and say, what needs to be done? How can I help? Or I noticed that the trash needs to be empty. Where does that go? Can I help with that? What needs to be done and how can I help? So whose feet are you washing? Who are you serving humbly and sacrificially? I mean, is there a routine job around the office that no one wants to do? Is there jobs around the house that everyone fights over not doing, right? Like, who's going to empty the cat litter, pick up the dog poop, or I don't know what those jobs, clean the shower? How could you begin to say, I'll, I'll do that this time? And what are our families, our apartments, our offices be like if, if more and more of us had that posture of, what needs to be done? I can, I'll help, even if it's the thing that no one wants to do. And here's the thing. I think we often say, I want to be more like Jesus. How can I grow to be more like Jesus? And the reality is, is that the only way is to follow him into this kind of service. You are never going to develop the character and patience and humility as well as the joy and the peace of Jesus apart from choosing the low places. It's, it's just part of how it happens. You want to become more like Jesus? Start finding the low places and serving there. There's no shortcut. There's no quick fixes. You just have to decide over and over and over again to choose the low place. And as you do that, not the, not the first time, not the second time, maybe not even the hundredth time, but as you continue to do that, you will begin to have the character of Jesus formed in you. So that's the first thing. Choose the low places. Here's the second. As we move through this chapter, you'll notice that it mentions Judas, the one who betrays Jesus a lot. If you just read through John 13, his name actually comes up a lot. And John wants us to see is Jesus washes Judas's feet. And Jesus knows exactly what Jesus, Judas is going to do as he's washing Judas's feet. He knows what he's about to do. And then the chapter ends with, with Peter, and, and Jesus basically says to Peter, you know, hey, it's great. I washed your feet. I did all that. I love that your, your faith is so white hot right now, Peter. But later on tonight, you are going to deny that you ever even knew me. That's how this chapter ends. So yes, wash the feet of the people you like. Serve them, of course. But followers of this foot-washing king go beyond that. This is our second thing. They love their least favorite people. Our foot-washing king expects us to love our least favorite people. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, teaches his followers that that there's a new kind of ethic with his his kingdom. This is Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. Jesus says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you only greet your brothers and sisters, what are you doing that's out of the ordinary? Jesus says to serve people, even to sacrificially serve people that you love and you like, like but you're not actually doing anything spectacular. But you know, if you just serve the coworker who everyone 
likes, or if you only jump in on a, on a difficult project so that the boss will, will notice, just says, that's fine, do that. Just know that that's not anything extraordinary. That's what everyone does. Jesus' foot-washing moment, though, raises the bar, and it expands the boundaries of who we serve. Jesus washes Judas's feet, Peter's feet. Think about that. Judas's feet are still clean as he leaves the dinner party to go betray Jesus. Peter's feet are still clean from being washed by Jesus that night as he stands in a courtyard and then denies that he ever knew Jesus. Jesus washed their feet. And what is he asking you to do? I I don't know who are the enemies in your life. And, And here's the thing. We can go into enemy mode with people at any moment where it feels like they're not on our side. And, and uh, Jim Wilder and others who have written kind of on Christian spiritual formation just say an enemy is anyone who feels like they're not on your side. And how often does that happen with our coworkers or with a spouse or a parent or a child where you feel like this person right now is not on my side. They are against me. How can you wash feet in that situation? Again, this is really hard. This is really difficult precisely because it isn't ordinary. Again, Jesus' point in the Sermon on the Mount, if you just do this for the people that you like, you're not doing anything out of the ordinary. This is extraordinary. And I think that's why this whole story builds to this new commandment in verse 34, where Jesus says this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus is calling them to this new level of love. Now, what's new about this new commandment? Because in Leviticus chapter 19, this is the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the foundation of Peter and Judas and all their faith, There was the command to love your neighbor. Deuteronomy chapter 19 says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the command to love is not new. It's back in Leviticus 19. But what is new about this commandment is the standard, the measure of that love. Because in Leviticus chapter 19, it's love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's love others as Jesus has loved you. I I love how simply and plainly New Testament scholar D.A. Carson puts this. He says, the standard is no longer how we love ourselves, but how Jesus loves us. That's what's new about the new commandment. The standard is no longer how we love ourselves, but how Jesus loves us. That's the standard. That's our identity. We should be known by our love. Love as defined by basin and towel service, even to those who would deny us and betray us. So I even just want to suggest a practice. Sometimes we just need practices that will help us bring these things into our lives. So here's a real simple one. Maybe this week, go in your old rag basket and, and just find an old cleaning rag and, and just washcloth, something like that. 
And maybe just fold it up and keep it in, in a place where you'll see it. Maybe on your nightstand, maybe at your, your desk or in a desk drawer, maybe just in your car. But someplace that when you see this, not like a fancy, pretty hand towel, but like a, a work towel. Saying, this is, this is my identity. Someone who cleans, someone who serves, someone who chooses the low place. Humble, foot-washing kind of love is what makes the church the church in every time and place and culture across history. From the Middle East 2,000 years ago to the Midwest 2,000 years later. And this is happening here today in our church. I recently heard a story of a, a, from our downtown campus about a couple new to Christ's community, and they had adopted a daughter. And last month, their daughter's birth parents reached out to tell them they were going to give birth again like next week. And they wanted to know, would this family take the sibling of the child they already adopted? Would they adopt this other child? And they had one week. <laughs> they kind of, it's like, yes or no? Will you take this baby? Can you imagine? And to complicate matters, this couple had just moved to Kansas City. They just started new jobs. They didn't have maternity leave or vacation or any significant paid time yet. I mean, it was just brand new. And so how could they possibly make this work? And they just said, sacrifice, we're going to do it. They decided that one of them would take three months off work, unpaid, not knowing how they could possibly make ends meet. Only knowing what Jesus was asking them to do. And so they stepped out in faith. And well, you know, another family in our church heard about this, heard about this difficult situation, and they anonymously decided to pay their entire mortgage during those three months in order to love this family and this child. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So how do we respond to a foot-washing king like that? To respond to our king with gratitude now.